For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Welcome to the Rock Broadcast. God is always going after lost sheep. We see his great power displayed as he opposes evil, and his great mercy as he rescues those who call on him. This story is no exception. Please join Pastor Carlin now with a message entitled, God's Power, God's Mercy. All right, we'd like to welcome everyone back to your seats. We're going to get started. As most everyone knows in this room, Pastor Ross and a team went to India. He's actually going to be teaching at a pastor's conference. I just spoke with him about an hour ago, and he's completed seven of his 11 sermons. Seven of his 11 sermons. It was just morning there. He was just getting up. So uh, please remember to keep him and the team in your prayers. And on Wednesday nights, we generally go through the Old Testament of Scripture Uh, Sundays we go through New Testament, but tonight I thought we'd take a break from the Old Testament and look at Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 5, and while you're making your way there, I'll open us in prayer and ask God for some grace. Yes, Lord, we come before you now. We sit at your feet to learn from your word, God. We know that this is your truth, These aren't just words penned by men, Lord. These are your very words as if you were speaking, standing here today, God. Help us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Guide us, direct us, correct us, instruct us through your word today. We remember and we lift up our pastors and our team in India, God. We pray for their safety. We pray that many souls would be blessed and saved And we thank you in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, Jesus had a habit of hanging out with people that needed him most. And the unusual thing about it is that the religious leaders of that day thought that was odd. See, he would hang out with people that were considered unclean, people that were sinners. And one day they asked Jesus about it. They said, so how come uh, this guy hangs out with all these, you know, sinners. And he gave him a response. He told him a parable. He told him the parable of the lost sheep. And he says, which one of you, if you had a hundred sheep and one of them got lost and went astray, would not leave the 99 and go after that one until he found it, you know, the one that was lost. And that was his answer. And that's God's answer always. He is the shepherd. He goes after the sheep. Jesus called himself the good shepherd, and his sheep were men and women. Most of them were raised with the knowledge of him in Judaism, and some of them had had trusted, put their trust in him, come to a knowledge of him and believed in him. But he also said, I also have sheep from another fold, not of this fold. They weren't raised with the knowledge of the scriptures. They didn't grow up going to church but they're gonna hear my voice and they're gonna come to me also. Well, tonight's account in scripture is about one of those lost sheep. Uh, We're gonna learn, it's kind of a radical story, just to be honest with you. It's very unique. 
um, involves a lot of, of things that are very interesting, but we're gonna see through all of this how Jesus demonstrates his power. He has great power. He's God in the flesh. And we're gonna see how he demonstrates his mercy. So Mark chapter five, starting at verse one, let's look at our text and follow along with me. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. And the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been demon-possessed, correction, who had been possessed by the legion of demons, and he was sitting there, dressed, and in his mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told all about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him to go with him. And Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he's had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. So like I said before, it's a pretty intense account, pretty unusual story, pretty unusual story. Now, this is the eyewitness account of the apostle Peter. It's being penned by John Mark. You can read more about John Mark in the book of Acts. And the purpose of the book of Mark is to present the gospel. Mark chapter one, verse one says uh, that, that we're here to present the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. And in this gospel account, uh, basically what Peter's focusing on is he's focusing on what Jesus did, what he saw with his own eyes. He said, I saw Jesus do this. Here's, here's what happened. Here's what happened. Write this down, John Mark. And so he's writing this down. And so far, this is where we have come to. We've seen that Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And generally, when people were being baptized by John the Baptist, they would confess out loud their sins and be dunked in the water. 
Well, Jesus is the son of God. He's the perfect spotless lamb. He had no sins. So when he was baptized, he was silent. Instead of him confessing, heaven, a voice from heaven, confessed, this is my beloved son, and in him I am well pleased. We see that Jesus taught with authority, not as the Jewish scribes or teachers would teach, but he taught with authority. These were his words. This was his law. He was God himself in the flesh. We've seen him cast out demons before. We've seen him heal the sick, even various diseases, just showing the wide, variety, wide array of things that he was able to do. Cured diseases like leprosy. He, he cured a paralyzed man. More importantly, we saw that he forgave sins. Who can forgive sins but God, they asked. Exactly, exactly. He said he was the Lord of the Sabbath. He claimed to be God. That's where we're at. This is Jesus, and we have to know who Jesus is before we can understand what this story is about. Well, one day, after all those things had happened, many people had gathered around Jesus, and it was along the Sea of Galilee, and there were so many people that in order to address them, he got in a boat and stood just offshore, and he spoke to them all day long in parables. And at the end of the day, when it was getting to be about evening, he told his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Let's go over to the other side. Now, we have a map here for you. I'm going to show you where all this took place. So here is the Sea of Galilee. And over here on the west side is where Jesus' ministry was. The bulk of his ministry over here, you'll see Cana. Uh, you'll see Nazareth. You'll see Samaria. On the other side here is what was known as the Decapolis, meaning the 10 cities, the 10 big cities. And they were Gentile, uh, Gentile territories, Gentile owned. And uh, what's gonna happen here is Jesus is gonna cross over with his disciples in the boat over the Sea of Galilee, uh, about six miles-ish, and he's gonna come to shore over here in the region we've read about. Now, as most of you know the story, there was a storm that arose. It wasn't an easy trip over. Jesus was exhausted from a long day of preaching. He falls asleep. As he slept, the storm awakened, and it started bashing the ship, started shaking it, started filling it with water. It was so fierce and violent that the disciples, who were mostly seasoned fishermen, believed they were going to die. They woke Jesus, and Jesus awakes, and he rebukes the wind and the waves, and the storm stops immediately. It's done. And then he goes over and he rebukes his disciples. Where was your, where was your faith? I told you we we're going to go to the other side. That's where we're going. I was in the boat. I was right here. As you can imagine, the disciples going from thinking they were going to die to being immediately saved by Jesus, speaking a word, took his word seriously. And they said to one another, what manner of man is this? That even the wind and the waves obey him. They obey his commands. Jesus is, Jesus is the Lord over creation. We've seen that in the songs. Now, when we look at verse one here, chapter Mark, verse, or Mark chapter five, verse one, it says, they went across the lake now to the region of the Gerasenes. We talked about that Decapolis area. It's the tip there. 
And this will bring us to our first point. Jesus arrives. Jesus arrives. Always a big deal when Jesus arrives. And even bigger deal is where he arrived at. He said, let's go over to the other side of the lake. Now, he was talking geographically, but, you know, it was certainly the other side because this was completely Gentile territory. There's two types of people in the world at that time, Jews and Gentiles. It was that simple, according to the Jews. Here we go. There's Jews who were the people of God, and there's everybody else. Most of Jesus' ministry was to his people, to the Jews. But this is one of the recorded times where he goes and talks with uh, uh, an area that is mainly Gentile. It's the other side. It's the other flock. Luke also records this account and says, you know, they went to the opposite side, and that's kind of what this is like. It's like opposite. It's completely opposite. They get there, and what do they see? They see a herd of pigs. There's no flocks of sheep like you would usually see in, you know, in the Jewish territory because they were clean. There is a herd of pigs, which are unclean. There's tombs throughout the cliff. Death, unclean. But Jesus is coming across, and he's arriving in an unclean area for a purpose. He's got a lost sheep. He's got a lost sheep. Now, if we look on to verse 2, it says, When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This will bring us to our second point, running from death to life. Point number two, running from death to life. If we look a little bit further, the scripture really explains who this guy is. We know who Jesus is. Mark spent four chapters now telling you who Jesus is. Now we're going to take some verses and talk about who this man is because it's important. You have to know who this man is before, before you can understand the gravity of this account. First thing he says is the man lived in the tombs. That's where he lived. He used to live in a home. He used to have a family we read about in the story. But now his home was among the dead. The dead were his family. This was the tombs. And I'm sure he smelled like death. That's what made him comfortable. This is kind of the state of where this man is at. Continues on and says, no one could bind him anymore. And that's an interesting word, anymore. That meant at one point they could bind him. He'd grown out of control. He'd grown out of their grasp. They had no bearing on this guy anymore, not even with chains, it says. And I think that's kind of funny how it throws it, you know, that in there. They weren't able to bind him anymore, not even with chains. See, the readers of this in this era would read this, and I'm sure the first thing they would say is, well, did they try chains? You know, That was the most common, the strongest you know, technology of that time to bind someone. In fact, that's basically the same principle we use today still. They're bound with chains. And so he's bound with chains and they're saying, yes, yes, even with chains, it couldn't restrain him at all. In fact, he had often been bound with chains, but he tore the chains and he broke the shackles or the irons. And on top of that, no one was strong enough to subdue him. They're saying, we've tried it many times before. We've tried everything. This guy was unstoppable. It doesn't matter if you had someone, if you could find someone that was strong enough to subdue this guy, to hold this guy down just long enough so that you could shackle him with irons. It wouldn't even matter. He'd break the irons. We've tried it all before. And so what was the result? 
what was the result of this guy? The relationship between he and the village? They just stayed away from him. Nothing else they could do. No help they could offer him. Nothing at all. The Gospel of Matthew also describes this incident and says that the men were so extremely violent that no one could even pass by that way. Matthew chapter 8. Luke also takes note of it and mentions something. He says, uh, also, by the way, guys, this guy had not worn clothes in a long time. So you're seeing just utter depravity, complete loneliness, utter depravity. This has been a long thing that had been going on for what probably seemed forever. People probably couldn't even remember when it wasn't like this. Well, let's see what he does. It says, night and day, continuing on here, night and day, he would cry out. He would cut himself with stones. Now, that's an interesting thing. You know, there's a lot of superstition around the Gentile people. Very superstitious, right? They didn't have, have God. They had uh, traditions or superstitions. Um, even today, we see superstitions around. And commentators believe that this might have actually been an attempt of the man to try to release the demons. Maybe that's why he was cutting himself. Maybe that's why. Uh, another reason surely is that uh, uh, he was trying to mar himself. Maybe the demons were acting and they were trying to mar himself because he bore the image of God. Men, we bear the image of God. It's a big thing. They love to destroy the things of God. Well, either way, it didn't work. There is no way it worked, right? The demons were still in there. The cutting didn't work. Notice he's not crying out because he's cutting himself. He's crying out and then cutting himself. This guy is tormented. He's tormented. It's very similar to all the stories we see in the New Testament of uh, demon possession. And the word for that is uh, demonized. Demonized, filled with a demon or demons. And we just see what the result of that life is. You're tormented and you torment others. He's very violent. All right, so why all the detail? Why does you know, the Holy Spirit list three and a half verses here of what this guy did and go into the gross, serious detail of who this guy was. Well, because he wants you to know who this guy is. And this man's gonna meet Jesus. And the whole countryside already knew this guy. And so it was a big deal to them for what happened. And you know, really when you look at it, you know, we might say, oh, you know, demonized. Okay, well, we've heard stories or whatever, but that, how's that applicable today? Well, this guy is really the poster child of what should have happened to mankind unless God would have, if God would have not stepped in and given us mercy. It's that simple. It's that simple. We've, we should have been fed to the wolves right away after we rejected the shepherd, all right, Adam and Eve in the garden, ran away, should have been fed to the wolves. We ran from the shepherd. We deserve the shepherd's wrath. Top of that, there is evil out there, but that's not what we see happening. What happens? God goes looking for them. God goes looking for them, a reoccurring theme. He goes and finds them to show them mercy, to show them mercy. And it didn't stop there. He gave them promises. He said, a Messiah is gonna come. Didn't stop there. He gave them a people, the Jews, chosen people that he was going to use to bring his word, the law, 
And most importantly, the Messiah who would fix all of this, all of this. So my question to you tonight is, do you remember where God found you? Do you remember being found? Adam and Eve in the garden, they were found. If you're saved here in this room tonight, there was some place God had to go to find you. And maybe it was in Gentile territory. Maybe it was unclean. Maybe it was among sinners. Where was it? Somewhere he had to leave his throne. He had to draw you. He had to come. He had to convict you and show you his mercy, reveal himself to you. He left his throne. That's where he should have been dwelling all the time, right? He shouldn't have worried about us, but he loved us, and he's the good shepherd, and he came looking for us. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Jesus says, hey, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why I'm here. I'm here to seek and to save. We all, have, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. Isaiah 53, verse 6. Gosh, God came, he loves us, he came for us. Do you remember where he found you? That's important to remember that. That's important to remember that. And do you know who saved you? It was God himself. The shepherd himself, the good shepherd himself, the king from heaven. Well, now the demonized man sees the king from heaven arrive. And he's going to run and meet him. And the first thing he does is he falls on his knees and he shouts, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torment me. And Jesus replied, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name? The man replied, legion, for we're many. And a legion, that word, uh, would have meant a Roman legion, which was no less than 6,000 men. 120 horses in men on top of that. And that amount is it doesn't mean that there was precisely 6,000 demons in there. It means there were a lot of demons in there. There was a lot of them. He was full of demons. It wasn't one or two. There were tons and tons of, of demons in him. And then what does he start to do? He starts to beg Jesus. Don't send me out of the area. In the other gospel accounts, the word is don't send me to the abyss. The abyss. And there is a place that God has created for the, de- the devil and his demons where the chains won't break, where it won't end, where he will be contained permanently. And that day's coming for him. He knows that. And so he's asking God, he's even asking God for mercy. Just, and, and he knows it's gonna happen, but he says, but just not yet. Just not yet. And then he asks him for mercy again. He begs him, he says, what about the pigs? Send me into the pigs. If I can't torment this man anymore, if I can't inflict punishment and violence upon other men and women and who else are out there, if I can't do that, then send me to the pigs. Hey, it's something, right? You love man more than animals. We know that, but hey, at least it's something I can torment, because that is what demons do. So we're going to look at what he tries. The first thing he tries is he comes and he bows down. Now, the word for bow down actually means to worship. He came to worship. But the reason you won't see worship there is because he's not actually worshiping God. We worship God in spirit and in truth. 
He doesn't accept worship from demons. And so it wasn't to show a sign you know, of respect. It was to try to manipulate favor from him. When you come to God, you're not coming to God to try to get something. You're coming to God to worship him because he is the eternal, loving, merciful, gracious God and Savior of the worlds and of the universe, of the spiritual realm and of the physical realm. You come and you worship him. But this, this uh, demonized man, right? The demons come, he's on his knees. They're doing it because they're trying to get something from God. They've got something in the back of their mind. They've got a reason they're doing this all. And then they say, you know, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And on first glance, you might say, well, that's pretty cool. They're describing deity to, to Jesus. You know, they're kind of, you know, maybe that helps us a little bit, saying, well, hey, even the demons knew he was God. But really, if we look at that, that wasn't declaring deity. It wasn't to show him honor. They believed that gave them the upper hand. They were calling him out. They were exposing him. I know who you are. You're the son of God. I know the whole plan. I know your whole story. Kind of to get a, another edge on him. And then they try to get him to swear by God. They know if they can get him to swear by God, he can't break it. God's promises are true. Jesus has already warned people, don't swear by God or, or the earth or anything. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Well, he tried all of this and it didn't work. They were gonna be, they were gonna come out. Jesus was, was like, that's not gonna negotiate with you. You're coming out. So they try for his mercy. They go after his mercy. They beg him, same word, both times. It means they beseeched him. They implored him. All right, all right, please. Please, just, just you know, not yet. Not yet. Send us into uh, the pigs. Send us into the pigs. Now, it's interesting when we see how the, the demons view God's mercy because obviously they view it as a weakness. That's what the demons were doing. The whole time that they were tormenting this man and tormenting people, they were taking advantage of God's mercy, what? That he had not sentenced and sent them to the abyss immediately when they fell from heaven. Immediately. That is how demons use God's mercy. That is how they respond to God's mercy. How do you respond to God's mercy? That will tell you so much about yourself. How do you respond to God's mercy? The Bible tells us clearly how to respond to God's mercy. We have a slide, Romans chapter 12, verses one through two. It's up on the board, I'll read it to you. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Not the falling on the knees, right? Not the begging, not the, not the, just offer your bodies as living sacrifices, worship in spirit and in truth. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know what's fascinating is this word here, therefore I urge you, is the exact same word, beseech, right? Parakaleo in the Greek, which the demons were doing with Jesus. No, I beseech you, I beseech you. Send us over here. Paul's saying, I beseech you, believers. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices in view of God's mercy. Take his mercy serious. Take his mercy serious. Let's look at verse 13. 
Jesus responds to this. It says very simply, he gave them permission. He gave them permission. Oh, that is so comforting. They have to get permission from Jesus. They have to. They didn't just go into, you know, oh, we're going over here, see what we're doing. They have to get permission from Jesus. Jesus is not just the Lord of the wind and the waves, meaning this creation only, as some religions teach. He is the Lord of heaven. He is the Lord of the spiritual realm. He is sovereign. He is God Almighty. And even the demons, yes, have to ask permission and get permission from him to do things. God either sends or he allows. That's how he's sovereign. So out they come. Into the pigs they go, right? 2,000 pigs approximately, down the steep slope, into the sea and drowned. What is that all about? That's what everybody's asking, right? What was that? What was the point of that? That's crazy. Yeah, the whole story's kind of bizarre, but it all makes sense if we look at it. It reveals two things. This is the first thing it reveals. There's 2,000 pigs, right? Doesn't mean that approximately. Doesn't mean there were exactly 2,000 demons or so. There could have been three demons per pig, whatever it is. The point was there's at least 2,000 demons, okay? Because every one of those pigs was filled and they didn't run in 2,000 different directions. They were united, they were organized, they ran as a herd to death. That's what they did. So the first thing that we learn is that, that the demons are, are organized. They're not divided. This man may have looked crazy, but there was a purpose behind it. It was all towards a purpose. The demons were all working together towards a purpose, and the second thing we see revealed is what that purpose was, destruction and death. Destruction and death. That's the devil's goal. Destroy death. What can we do? How can we get them? Destruction and death, trying to pull this man down. And I bet you they wanted this man dead and God wouldn't allow it because he knew this time was coming. I bet that was going to happen. Now, as you can imagine, imagine being that man. The first few seconds of regaining your sanity, the first thing you see is this herd of pigs barrel down a steep incline into the sea and all drowned. Wow, that's incredible. You know what I would have thought is that should have been me. How did that not happen to me before? That was in me. That was mine. That, that was what was driving me. Wow, that should have been me. Why did God allow this to happen? What, in every other case, he, he just takes out the demon. Why in this one scenario did he allow them to go into the pigs? And I would submit to you, perhaps it's so the man could see the mercy God had extended him. He would never forget that. You would never forget that. I'm gonna ask you do, you, do you realize what you have been saved from? Do you realize the extent? Maybe you weren't demonized, but you were saved from death and destruction. That's what God has saved us from. Let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 9. I'll read it to you. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these things, he's given us 
his very great and precious promises so that through them he may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in an increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But, look at this, verse nine. But if anyone does not have them, referring to everything we're talking about, right? Hey, you've been saved, you've been a partaker in, in God's divine nature, all right? But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind, and he has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. We may not have been demonized, but we are full of sin. We were full of sin, and it was taking us straight down. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Romans 6, 23, death. Do you remember what he saved you from? Your past sins, or have you forgotten? And maybe you've suffered a loss. Maybe you can go, oh no, I remember. I saw it. Maybe he saved you out of a, in a radical way. Maybe you got to see your life played out through someone else doing the same thing as you. Maybe their life ended. And you're here today, you, you saw that play out and you realize the seriousness of sin. Sin is serious. But then you also realize the truth of God's mercy. Don't let it harden your heart against God. Come to him. He's given you absolute mercy. This will bring us to point number four, a new man. Well, as you can imagine, after all this had happened, there's no small stir among the pig uh, herders. They ran and reported it to everybody they knew. They didn't just go and tell their bosses. Didn't look like they had bosses. Looks like it was their herds. But they didn't go and, and report it just to one or two people. They told anybody and everybody, the whole countryside, everybody around, you've got to see what just happened. We were standing here, and Jesus arrived, and you know that guy that is just out of his mind and really violent? Well, he runs toward him. Makes you wonder why they didn't try to warn Jesus and the disciples. But anyway, he runs toward him, and we're watching, right? Because that's what they reported. They reported what they'd saw. They'd seen the whole thing. We're watching. And they start talking. The demonized guy's bowing down to him. Has he ever done that before? He's bowing down to him. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's, there's some loud talking, shouting. Uh, and then all of a sudden, our pigs go crazy and run down the steep cliff and drown. You've got to see this. Wouldn't you go to a story like that? Yeah, let's go see what this is. This looks interesting. Especially back then, they didn't have TV. They didn't have video games, right? So they're going to see what this is because this sounds really, really interesting. So they go down there and look at verse 15. I love this. When they came to Jesus, they came to Jesus. They came to Jesus. Let's see what happens. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was seated, sitting down. Luke chapter eight says he was sitting at the feet of Jesus. He was clothed. Means someone gave him clothes. Didn't have them on him. God provided the clothes. They gave him clothes. 
and he was in his right mind. Look at the contrast. He was sitting, the word can mean dwelling. He was dwelling at the feet of Jesus. He went from dwelling in the tombs, which is death, to dwelling at the feet of Jesus, which is life. And look, he went from being uh, completely unclothed, uh, which was, you know, he was, so he was naked, and, and now he's completely wearing clothes. And, and they're going, is this the same guy? In the NASB, it says, yes, it's the same, the very same guy, you know? Gosh, like, man, all the people were completely shocked. Instead of out of his mind, he was in his right mind. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7 says, you know, that's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of God doesn't give us a spirit of fear. He gives us a spirit of power, of love, yes, in a sound mind or self-discipline. So when they came to see Jesus, they saw the man, they saw the changes. The result, they were frightened. They were frightened. The word there in the Greek is phobeo, which is where we get phobia from. They were scared to death. Sounds a little unusual, doesn't it? Completely and utterly scared to death. Here this man is, sitting there changed. You'd think they'd be happy. Oh, nice. We can, you know, pass by this way now. Everything's better. Um, gosh, and I'm so happy for him you know, and we're looking for a couple other, you know, pig herders, you know, so, you know, maybe we'll have a job. I mean, who knows, right? But they could care less. They're just scared. They're scared. What just happened to this guy? I love in the verse where it says, they came and they saw the man who's not named. They didn't have the name, but they, that's how they knew him. They said, oh, they saw the man who had been demon-possessed or demonized. I love that word, had been. Those two words, rather had been demonized. See, something changed. He went from death to life. He is no longer the demonized man. He is now the man who was once demonized, right? All right, no jokes about Prince, moving on. So uh, look at that in yourself. Do you remember when you were saved? Do you remember that? Do you remember when you went from a user to a person who used to use? You know, do you remember when you went from someone who hated God Someone who loved God? When that transformation happened? Maybe you were raised in the church. I was raised in the church. Maybe you were raised in the church and you didn't have some story like that, but you remember when you used to believe because your parents believed, because they brought you to church, because you learned it in Sunday school. But you remember when you believed for yourself on your own? You chose Jesus as your savior? Do you remember that? Do you remember coming and sitting at his feet? That's a position for instruction right now. We are sitting now, we are sitting down, we're receiving instruction from the word of God. We're receiving his word. We're being, we're being teachable. He's given us a teachable spirit for his word that changes our lives. Clothed. Do you remember going from, maybe not physically naked to clothed, but do you remember finding out you were clothed in righteousness? Instead of the filth of your sins, you were clothed in righteousness. I remember when I came back to the Lord in college. I remember going to a church and just going, whoa, there's so many things that went on. It was very similar uh, to those, you know, the herd of pigs running down the hillside and, and drowning. Just a lot of things happening all at once, trying to make sense of it all. But I remember sitting down in a sermon, hearing someone preach from the word of God and then in that moment, as he was preaching truth, I realized I've been clothed in righteousness. 
He's clothed me in righteousness. He's taken my sins. Do you remember being in your right mind? You can tell you're in your right mind because you look back and look at the crazy things you did when you weren't in your right mind, right? You look back on all those things and you go, what was I thinking? I was out of my mind. Out of my mind. Don't ever forget when he saved you. Don't ever forget when he saved you. Let's look at another slide. We have 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. All those things we listed, users, haters of God, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, doesn't matter. If you've come to Christ, that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We're gonna look at the contrast now of the people. Very different response. Again, this is kind of like opposite land, right? So Jesus comes, does this huge miracle. People, you know, one person or a couple people go and tell. Whole town comes out. Sounds a lot like John chapter four when he goes uh, and meets a Samaritan woman by the well. Completely different response from the people. What happened? Well, with the woman at the well, the whole town comes out and they go, Jesus, stay with us a few more days. And it says, it goes on to John chapter four, verse 45, and says, you know what? We don't believe anymore because you told us. Now we've heard with our own ears. We believe for ourselves that this man is the savior of the world. Exact opposite thing happened with these people. They came out and they said, whoa, they were afraid. All right, so they came out. They saw the power of God. Something powerful happened. And then they were afraid, there was fear, and they said, all right, get out of here. We, we don't want this, don't want this. Get out of here. It says, they begged him to go. Same word for the demons begging Jesus to go. They said, we don't wanna go to the abyss, and then begging him to go into the swine. Now the people, same word, are begging or beseeching Jesus, why don't you go? Why don't you get out of here? You know, this is kind of our place, and we don't really like you here. This will bring us to our final point, God's plan. Now, it's interesting. Jesus gets in the boat. He goes, okay. He's ready to leave. I'll go. The power of God, demons, the, the spiritual realm, have to come and answer to me. You can't control them. You can't bind this man. I've just freed this man. You want me to go, I'll go. I'll go. He gets in the boat to leave, and we see one person's not okay with it. In that whole land, there is one person who is not okay with Jesus going. The man who had been demonized or demon-possessed. Same word. He was begging Jesus, let me go with you. Let me go with you, please. Don't leave me with these people. I want to be by you. Do you remember that? Do you remember when you just wanted, you wanted to learn? Some of you are at that stage right now. You're going, yes, I know God, I know Jesus. He saved me. I remember where he came to get me. I, I've seen what he's done for me. I, I just, I want more of him. I, yes, I, we're going together. Where are you going, Jesus? I'm going with you. And Jesus says, no. No. The one request of that word, requesting for mercy, he doesn't, he doesn't grant he says no to the Christian, the brand new Christian. 
He says, I've got somewhere else I want you to go. I want you to go home. So he had a home. I want you to go to your family. He had a family. And I want you to tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had what? Mercy on you. Mercy. So the man did. He did that exact thing. He went and told them how Jesus had had mercy on him. He knew Jesus was the Lord. It was clear to him. He knew what it was like to be demonized, filled with demons, and he knew what it was like to be set free and see the power of God before him and being taught from him. He goes, oh yeah, he's God. Done. Not even a question. The people saw God's power, and this is what's so fascinating. The people even saw a changed life in this man, and they did not respond to God's, to God's, they responded to his power. They were afraid of his power. Well, yes, you can be afraid of God's power because he's powerful if you don't know that he's also merciful. And so look at all that these people had, you know. They, they you, know, the, you know, the guy could have said, hey, just, I'm gonna stay here and people will look at me and they'll see me, they'll realize I'm different and then that'll be enough. No, God says, go, because they had to hear from the man who had received mercy. They had to hear. They, had to, they couldn't just see a changed life. If there was ever a changed life, that guy was it. You know, I've heard a lot of stories of God redeeming people because that's what he does. But I'm sorry, that is incredible. A demonized man that no one could restrain gets completely radically transformed. He goes from naked to clothed. He goes from living in the tombs to now living at his home with his family uh, and, he's, and he's in his right mind, that's a transformed life. The people saw it and they were afraid and they left. Jesus says, no, I want you to stay here. You have got to tell them how I had mercy on you. They knew God's power, but they did not know his mercy. Did not know his mercy. Romans chapter 10, we have the slide for that. I'll read it to you. Verses 12 through 15. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then can they call on the one they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? This man was sent. God sent him out. No. You go and you preach to them. They need to hear that I am merciful. That is how they will be saved, not just seeing a transformed life. Yes, that's part of it, but that's not how they're saved. That might open the door to conversation, but it's through hearing and believing someone is saved. And why did God save him? Why? Because he's merciful. There is nothing this man did. God is completely and utterly merciful. You can accept his mercy or you can reject his mercy, but he is merciful nonetheless. So how has he had mercy on you? Do you know how he's had mercy on you? Do you know exactly how? This is how he's had mercy on you. Just like in this story, when Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, the storm, and he landed on shore. He arrived in an unclean land. Jesus came down from heaven to earth. 
And we may not have, you know, been demonized before we've, we were saved. We weren't filled with demons, okay? Not all of us. But we were all filled with sin. Romans 3.23, all of us filled with sin. So now let's look at the story. Instead of seeing this man filled with, with demons, with legions of demons, imagine him being filled with, with legions of sins. Legions and legions of sins. Comes and he meets Jesus, okay? And Jesus can't permanently send the sins onto animals. Now we read that temporarily, he, he allowed that, okay? It was never the permanent factor, but this was a temporary way of him having mercy on people and saying, you can stay right with me because it's through faith that you are believing that I, the good shepherd, am gonna be the one that comes and takes your sins. And we see that with Jesus. We see Jesus was marred. He was cut. He was beyond recognition. We see he was the one that was naked on the cross. Not because he was demonized, because he was filled with our sins. None of his, all of ours. We saw that he cried out loudly at night in the garden to the Father. We see that he died. And then he rose from the dead. And that is how God has had mercy on you and on me. Christ's sacrifice. And God's given us the same command. He says, go out. Tell people what I've done for you. Tell them of my mercy. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but would have everlasting life. And if you're in this room and you don't know the Lord like that, you've come to Jesus and maybe you're afraid of his power. Maybe you learned tonight he's mercy. He's extended mercy. He goes after lost sheep. He's brought you in this room here tonight. Call upon his name. For all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being our good shepherd. God, we realize when we're worshiping you, Lord, it's in truth. Our spiritual act of worship, Lord, is how we deal with your mercy. Do we accept you and receive you? Do we play on your mercy? Heaven forbid. Lord, we pray for Every heart in this room, Lord, people who've known you for years, people who are just coming to know you, people who don't know you, we pray, Lord, that your word would go forth as you have promised and that people would receive your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand for the closing song. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org or find us on Facebook. These podcasts are also available in video format on our Calvary Chapel The Rock YouTube page.